Welcome to Talk Healthy to Me. I'm your host, Brindley Joyner, and on this podcast, we chat about living healthy, happy, and fulfilling lives. From fitness to relationships to business, we really cover it all. Let's get into it. Hello, hello, good morning, you guys, and welcome back to another episode. Today's episode, I have a guest on, and this is gonna be a really special episode because all of my previous guests, I've either known them in person, they've been one of my friends, they've been someone I've connected with a lot on social media and still know pretty well, but this guest I've never talked to before, never met, just started following her accounts the other day, and I am so excited to interview someone that is essentially a stranger and actually dive deep and ask so many questions that I don't already know. So today I will be interviewing Maria Marlowe. She is an acne-focused nutritionist, and she works to help her clients heal their skin holistically through food and nutrition. She also is an author, is a founder of her own probiotic, and she also has a really awesome presence on social media sharing all of her best tips and professional advice on there. She posts on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. I'm really excited to have her on because I don't know anything about skin, quite frankly. Selfishly, I am going to ask her so many questions that I have been wanting to ask an expert for so long, and I just know that she's going to have so much knowledge to share with us and give us tangible takeaways. In this episode, Maria explains to us the gut-brain-skin connection, and she teaches us so much about acne, what it is, where it comes from, things we can avoid, things we can add into our diet, things we can do to help with breakouts. She shares her own personal story and experience with acne and what she did to naturally heal. We're gonna talk all about nutrition, ways to reduce inflammation and stress in the body. She's also gonna share some of her hot takes from a nutritionist standpoint on things like SPF and sun exposure, having a 10-step skincare routine, consuming alcohol, coffee, kombucha, sauna, cold therapy, Botox and fillers. We have so many topics that we're gonna dive into here. And I'm just so grateful to have her on. So with all that being said, let's invite Miss Maria Marlowe onto the show. All right, you guys, I am welcoming on Maria to the show. Maria, I am so excited to chat with you. I know that my audience is going to absolutely love this conversation. They had so many questions when I put a little Instagram poll, and I know they're so excited to hear from you, as am I. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Yay. I know I kind of already introed you from my view viewpoint and what I see from your Instagram and social media, but I want to hear a little introduction of yourself, what you do exactly, um, your presence on social media, and just any little facts you want to share about yourself. Sure. So I am a nutritionist that specializes in acne because as you can probably guess, I had really bad acne and um, I had it for about five years despite trying all the things from drugstore to uh, prescription medications, topicals, uh, ingestible medications. And, you know, the acne would sometimes get better, sometimes it would get worse, but it it would always come back. And it wasn't until I discovered this concept of food as medicine that my skin finally cleared up. And when I really focused on cleaning up my diet and working on my gut health, my skin cleared up in three months which was crazy. I actually didn't believe it. I was like, this must be a miracle from heaven. There's no way that this actually worked. I think God just answered my prayers. And so I actually went back to eating, you know, my pizza and cookies and soda and all the things I was eating before. And of course my skin broke out right away. And then I was like, oh, okay. So maybe it is actually the food. And that is what ultimately got me on this path of like the interest of nutrition. And um, so I went back to school to study nutrition and cooking and then really focus my practice 
initially I was a little bit more general, but because I was so interested in skin and, and like the acne, like my acne journey played such a pivotal role of getting me interested into nutrition. I ended up specializing uh, more in, in acne and, um, you know, do continuing education at like the integrative dermatology symposium. And like, that's really where my interest lies. So that is, is basically how I got started and, uh, yeah, where I am today. I love that. And then you started sharing on social media too. I know you have a presence on TikTok, on Instagram, and you've just been able to take that information and kind of relate it to your audience in a fun and engaging way. How has that been kind of going from just being, you know, studying and actually as a nutritionist and then also kind of dabbling into social media? How has your experience been with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I got my start a really long time ago, like over a decade ago, which is crazy. And at the time that was kind of like when Instagram was just starting or, you know, people were starting to use these social media channels. TikTok wasn't even thought of yet. And um, to be honest, like first I was resistant to using them because I'm like, I have so many clients, like I'm just working, you know, I don't have time for social media. But, you know, as the years went on, I realized just how important social media is, um, you know, even just as a marketing tool to find clients or clients to find you and just to open possibilities of like, you know, writing a cookbook or a book, like it's always good to have a following. So then I started, you know, posting more frequently on social media. And interestingly, I was on Instagram, you know, for the longest time, but then I started going on TikTok like less than a year ago. And then my TikTok blew up, uh, I guess the yeah. Gen Z on there, I don't know. They really like the content, maybe more than the millennials on Instagram. So, uh, yeah, so it's actually been really fun and really cool because I get to hear from people all around the world. And it's just amazing to, uh, yeah, to be able to help people because I know how frustrating it is to have acne and how doubly frustrating it is to like, feel like you're doing everything you're told to do. You're taking the medications, like you're doing what you're supposed to do and your skin's still not clearing up. So it's just really nice to, you know, be able to have that feedback and like people being like, I literally cleared my skin just from listening to your TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's it's pretty cool. That's incredible. I think there's so many Band-Aid fixes out there, whether it's for acne, whether it's for growing muscles, losing weight, like whatever you're working on with your mind or your body. I think that, you know, social media, it's so easy to find Band-Aid fixes everywhere you're looking. Someone's selling a product or they're giving you some fad diet or something like really just trendy and like in quotes hot to follow. But I love that your approach is to not have a bandaid, but to go deep within and find the core root and really start within and let that transform you to the outside. So I'm so excited to get into some of your tips and just hear everything today. Genuinely, this is a selfish episode for me because yes, I know my audience is going to benefit from you, but I I also want to all of your tips. So I want to start with like the main question that I think will carry us into the rest what exactly is acne? Where does it start? Are there different types of it? And I know we all, when we hear acne, we know it's breakouts on the face or on the back or wherever it is, like little breakouts, but where does it start actually underneath the skin? That is a fantastic question. So I think the biggest misconception about acne is that it's caused by bacteria. And in fact, when I had acne, that's what I always read in all of the magazines. And I would always hear about this P. acnes bacteria and how we need to scrub it away, use antibiotics or antibacterial topicals to, to get rid of this bacteria. And so I feel like at least during that time, like it was all the focus was on this bacteria and eradicating this bacteria. 
And it turns out that this bacteria has kind of really just been the scapegoat and not the real root cause of acne. So bacteria may play some role in acne, but it is not the, the first, the first trigger, the the first domino, so to speak, that's going to set off that chain of events that leads to breakouts is inflammation and internal inflammation in the body. And so now if you look up the definition of acne, it's classified as a chronic inflammatory disorder, right? So it's inflammation. And, you know, it's actually relatively recent that we've realized it's inflammation. So the whole idea that acne is caused by bacteria, that really, that hypothesis really started in the fifties. And that was at about the same time that antibiotics came to be used. And so the first antibiotic that researchers tried for acne didn't work. The second class of of antibiotics that they tried did work. And kind of in retrospect, often what happens, and I'm curious, like for your listeners, um, what their experience has been, but often what will happen is you go on antibiotics for acne and your skin may clear up while you're on the antibiotics, but within a year or so, the acne often comes back. And so to uh, to kind of paint a bigger picture of why this may be happening. So since the 1980s, research has actually started to point to inflammation as the main root cause of acne. And so we've learned a couple of things since, the, since then. So first, we've learned that that bacteria, that P. acnes bacteria, which has actually been renamed Cutie Bacterium acnes or C. acnes, So this bacteria is actually a commensal or good bacteria. So just like our gut has a microbiome, our skin has a microbiome, and this is actually a good bacteria that is found even on healthy skin, clear skin, in equal amounts as those with acne. We've also learned that you could have acne without having this particular bacteria on your skin. Wow. So right there, we know that, okay, so then maybe it's not you know, it's not the bacteria then. If you can have acne without having the bacteria, there's got to be something else at play. And so what the research is pointing to is inflammation. And interestingly, you know, sometimes you'll hear the terms uh, inflammatory acne and non-inflammatory acne. So non-inflammatory acne refers to those more topical type of pimples, like they're more towards the surface, such as whiteheads, for example, and they usually come and go relatively quickly, whereas the inflammatory acne is those more inflamed, red, deep, cystic type pimples that you can kind of feel brewing for days or weeks before they actually emerge. And, you know, so, so traditionally it was thought that the, the non, sorry, the inflammatory acne was caused by inflammation, but the non-inflammatory acne was, was not. But now more recently, we're beginning to realize that might actually be a misnomer. And even the so-called non-inflammatory acne is also triggered by inflammation in the body. So yeah, so inflammation is really the root cause. And it was back in the like early 2010s, after so 1980s, 90s, early 2000s, we had all of this information building up saying, okay, it's not bacteria, it's inflammation, it's the inflammation. And so it was in the early 2010s that acne was reclassified from a bacterial infection to a um, inflammatory condition. And when this happened, this should have caused a paradigm shift in how we treat acne, but it didn't. Uh, instead of, you know, really focusing on reducing the inflammation, we're still kind of treating acne like we always have, like nothing really shifted, you know, since then. And what I will say, like taking it back to, you know, mentioning antibiotics earlier, it turns out the class of antibiotics that are used for acne also have 
uh, anti-inflammatory properties. So the reason that they may have worked at all is more for their anti-inflammatory properties rather than their antimicrobial properties. So it's really important that we're focusing on inflammation. And if you've tried everything, you've tried all the medications and your acne keeps coming back, it's because you're not getting to the root of the problem, which is inflammation. Gotcha. Wow. That I'm going to need to listen back to that and take notes because that was so helpful. Thank you. So we know that inflammation is usually the root cause of acne. What does inflammation look like tangibly? So what are, what are some causes of inflammation? Is it stress? Is it things that you're eating? Is it environmental factors? What would you say are some root causes of actually inflammation to take it one step back? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there are many different root causes of inflammation. One really simple low-hanging fruit is nutrient deficiencies. And so in terms of acne, uh, there are a few nutrient deficiencies that are common amongst acne patients. So one is omega-3. And omega-3, you probably heard of it, right? Everyone's Mm -hmm. heard of omega-3. What do we know about it? It's highly anti-inflammatory. And uh, people with acne tend to lack omega-3, and they tend to benefit from adding omega-3 to the diet. So that could be a cause of inflammation. There are other nutrient deficiencies like zinc and vitamin A, vitamin D that could also play a role. Um, But these are just a couple of examples. Another possible cause of inflammation would be certain foods, so certain pro-inflammatory foods. In terms of acne, the two types of foods that are most associated with it in the scientific literature would be dairy products and sugar or refined carbohydrates. And um, yeah, so... so That's what no one loves to hear. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And the crazy thing with sugar... Um, and like, it's not like you could not have any sugar at all, or like, you know, you could never have a dessert or a birthday cake. Like, no, it's not that it's just, you want to be mindful of the amounts you're consuming and making sure that your diet overall is, has a low glycemic load. So we can kind of get into that later, but basically there's a lot of steps that you can take to keep your blood sugar more stable. Um, the problem is with the Western diet, and I used to eat this way, I would have cereal for breakfast, then a sandwich for lunch, then crackers or pretzels as a snack, pasta or pizza for dinner. So basically every meal was refined carbohydrates and little else. Yeah. And that is what is a recipe for a blood sugar roller co- coaster and a skin disaster. So that is just recipe for breakouts. And it's important to note that, you know, notice I didn't say dessert or I didn't say candy, um, which yes, is also high in sugar and can cause blood sugar issues. But um, this is where I think sometimes people don't realize that they are consuming a high glycemic low diet because the foods that they're eating are savory. And Mm. it's really important that we're eating enough fiber, eating enough protein, eating enough healthy fat at every single meal um, to keep our blood sugar stable. So yeah, so I would say um, sugar is a big one. And then another one um, would be vegetable oils. I feel Mm. like vegetable oils are very prevalent in the Western diet, especially if you're eating out a lot or eating a lot of packaged foods and they can kind of creep up on you, you know, because we're eating out all the time. And especially if you're not eating enough omega-3 rich foods, which come from things like wild salmon, anchovies, sardines, or seeds like flax and chia, the, you know, consuming too many vegetable oils can basically push your body um, towards a more inflammatory state. So um, I would say those are some of the, you know, common pro-inflammatory foods. Another cause, like you mentioned, is stress. 
So interestingly, what the research shows is that stressful thoughts like fear, sadness, depression, worry, these could actually cause changes in your gut microbiome, wiping out some of the good bacteria. And when this happens, the more opportunistic bacteria can proliferate or grow. And what ends up happening is that creates inflammation. And this inflammation then is your, you know, your root cause. It's starting in the gut, but it's ending up on your skin. So stress can absolutely cause breakouts. Speaking of the gut, gut dysbiosis. So even if you're not stressed, which I don't know who's not stressed because everyone's (laughs) stressed in this day and age, but you know, even if you have disrupted your gut in some other way, say by not eating a lot of fiber and eating too many refined carbohydrates that also can tilt your gut microbiome in the wrong direction, right? In a more pro-inflammatory direction. And that again is going to create inflammation, which can end up on your skin. So it's really important that we have a balanced gut microbiome. And interestingly, research shows that people with acne tend to lack the good lactobacillus and bifidobacteria strains. They tend to have less microbial diversity, so like less different strains in their gut. And in order to have a healthy gut, it's good to have a wide variety of bacteria strains. And there is some research that suggests that people with acne may be more likely to have leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability. So this is why I'm such a huge proponent of gut health. I talk about it all the time. I'm a huge fan of probiotics. Um, I started a probiotics company because I, you know, I believe in it that strongly. And the research is really there to suggest that the healthiest glowing skin really starts in the gut. Yeah. Um, Another, another cause could be hormonal imbalance. Um, and this is actually interesting, right? So if we're talking about oily skin, right? So I, sometimes people will be like, oh, my skin is so oily, so oily. And I think again, in, a, in the media, they tend to tell you like you either have dry skin, normal skin or oily skin. But the truth is we all have normal skin that can become more dry or more oily depending on various factors. And a high glycemic load diet with lots of sugar and refined carbohydrates can actually make your skin more oily. So it produces more mm. oil. It's also creating inflammation. So again, you're you're creating the recipe for a breakout. Um, so kind of getting back to the hormonal hormonal imbalances, there is the blood sugar imbalance and the and you know the insulin that that's a, definitely a trigger for acne. Um, but having um, like, for example, excess androgens or male hormones can also trigger acne. But the important thing, you know, whenever, like, I feel like in Western medicine, when, you know, you're told that you have something, it's like, okay, something's wrong with you. This is what's wrong with you. This is just how it is. But I feel like whenever we get that little piece of information, we always need to ask why. So like, why, why are my androgens higher than they should be? Because hormones are messengers essentially. And they are, they're really just reacting to our environment. So because this is a really common, like, um, you know, acne trigger, we can talk about this. There are a couple of things that can cause your androgens to increase. So again, a high sugar diet that actually increases your androgen levels, a low fiber diet. So not eating enough fruits and vegetables that could increase your androgens. Um, gut issues, like being constipated, this can actually contribute to hormonal imbalance because the way that we excrete excess hormones is through our stool. So when we're constipated, the the body can actually reabsorb those excess hormones that it was trying to excrete. And that's going to contribute to imbalance. So there's always like, you always want to dig a little bit deeper and get to the root. 
Um, and yeah, I feel like I'm telling saying so many things. And one last thing that can no, cause this inflammation. Is gold. <laughs> <laughs> one last thing that can cause inflammation is um actually overly harsh skincare. Uh, so I feel like um, you know, we have 10 step skincare and a lot yeah. of acne products are very harsh. They're peels, they're scrubs, they're like I feel like we're trying to beat our face into submission in some way. And what ends up happening is that over time, if we keep using and abusing these products, it can actually make our skin more sensitive and more prone to breakouts, more red. Um, if we're using products that are too drying, that strip too much oil, our skin is actually going to overcompensate and produce more oil. Um, and so I'm a huge fan of really going very gentle on the skincare, using natural stuff, gentle stuff, and allowing your diet and lifestyle to really do the heavy lifting because ultimately the nutrients that you're consuming and um, antioxidants that you're consuming, uh, that is what's going to have the biggest impact on your skin. Wow. So much good information right there. I want to dive into kind of every everything you talked about really, but let's start in sections. So the first thing I want to talk about is diet, food, nutrition. I want for my listeners, maybe they were listening to that first part when you were talking about food and they were like, okay, my diet does look like that. I do have cereal in the morning. I have random bits of bread, sugars throughout the day. I want to switch that up and I want some tangible takeaways to how I can kind of fix this if I am struggling with my skin or acne. And yeah. for my listeners, they know this and um, I'll just tell you, but I'm always about not restricting or completely cutting something out um, for the long run. But I do think that an elimination diet can be really helpful sometimes if you have something specific you're working towards, in this case, clearing your skin or acne. So if someone is struggling with breakouts right now or cystic acne, and they want, let's say five to seven foods or oils or things that they can have in their mind is I should try to stay away from this for the next couple of months to heal my skin. What are like five to seven that you would say right off the bat are probably the most inflammatory? Okay. That's a great question. And I will say like, yeah, we can definitely get into the things to avoid and eliminations can be really helpful, like you said. Um, but also the important thing is what we add in. So we can talk right. about that as well. We can talk about absolutely. Both. I yeah, actually, so I want to hear the, the things that we should avoid first, and then I'm going to circle each with what we should add in because I want okay. them to be able to substitute basically. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Number one, dairy, there are, um, studies with tens of thousands of people's tens of thousands of people who have, uh, which have suggested that, uh, the greater the intake of dairy, the, you know, the greater the severity of acne. So, um, if you are currently consuming dairy and you have acne, it's definitely a good elimination to try for at least two weeks to a month. And, uh, you can see how your skin responds. So that would be number one, uh, high I, sugar food. Yeah. Sorry. Can I interrupt you for one second on that? What is your opinion on raw dairy? Because I know that is a hot topic right now, like regular dairy versus consuming raw dairy or cheese made of raw dairy. Is that different or is that, does that still have the same inflammatory so I guess, I would characteristics? Say, I would say it's better, but it's really on a case by case basis. I think when somebody is actively breaking out, I don't think that dairy is the best thing for them because that's really a sign that they need to um, reduce their inflammation. They need to repair their gut, work on that, you know, before 
they can start introducing things back into the diet. And even with regular dairy, like once you've really gotten to a good place and healed your gut and like, you know, you're kind of at a good baseline, then you may find you're able to tolerate those foods that you couldn't tolerate before. And so, you know, you can add them in back once in a while. Um, but I would, I would say in the beginning, if you want the best results, I would try restricting it. The issue with, um, you know, cow's milk or another animal's milk, you know, in my opinion, opinion is that it's, it's really designed for that animal's calf and Mm -hmm. not necessarily for a human. Um, and so it has things in it that's beneficial for the calf, but that's not necessarily beneficial for you. And I'm not saying you can never have dairy, but I think it's something that has a smaller role in the diet. And, um, yeah, I, I think in the beginning part of healing, it's better to just avoid it. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Any more specifics that you would recommend staying away from if you're trying to heal your skin? Yeah. Like, uh, baked goods, you know, definitely like limit those or at least, you know, I I would definitely reduce my refined carbohydrate intake and like my sugary food intake, but that doesn't mean you can't eat anything sweet. So I'm all about the upgrades. So for example, like I was addicted to cookies and sweets and candy, you know, at the time, and it's not like I just stopped eating all things sweet. I just upgraded. So I would make like, for example, banana ice cream where I take two frozen bananas, add some cocoa powder, almond butter, you know, put it in the, the blender and make a soft serve ice cream or dates with nut butter or date rolls. Um, Now, in this day and age, there are so many of these like healthier chocolate or healthier dessert brands that are made with whole food sweeteners that are sweetened with dates or sweetened with monk fruit. So I would say choosing those instead of the ones that are sweetened with regular sugar or like milk chocolate that are high in sugar, you know, choose the dark chocolate instead of the milk chocolate. Um, You know, so there's little upgrades that you can make so you can still get your sweet fix, but doing it in a healthier way. For sugar, I just want to ask real quick. So as a nutritionist, would you say there is a difference between, you know, cane sugar that's in a baked good versus having a couple tablespoons of honey, raw natural honey is one better than the other, or are they both going to have the same inflammatory effect on your systems? So honey is, is actually anti-inflammatory um, and it's antimicrobial and has like a ton of amazing benefits. Um, I think the difference is, so in a baked good, it's basically all refined carbohydrates. So there's really no fiber in there or very little, uh, very little protein in there. And because of that, it's going to cause a, you know, higher blood sugar response in terms of the honey. Um, I I don't advise eating spoonfuls of honey, but you know, if you wanted to add it to like use that as your sweetener in a, in something, yeah. Or or in in a drink or however you wanted to add it. Um, ideally whenever you're eating sweet things, whether it's a naturally sweet thing, like a piece of fruit, like an apple or, uh, you know, a baked good or something pair it with protein and fat, because that is going to help to blunt the blood sugar spike. And secondly, um, have it at the end of a meal as a dessert versus as a snack on an empty stomach. Both of those things are going to help to reduce the, you know, the, the blood sugar response. So I think that's really important because, um, you know, there's all these little hacks and tips that you can do to keep your blood sugar more stable. Uh, you know, and the times like you do want to eat something that's higher in refined carbohydrates, or you're going out to an Italian restaurant and you want to have the pasta or whatever it is. 
that's totally fine. But eat a salad first, eat some protein and then have the pasta. And just simply eating in that order is going to make a world of difference on your blood sugar versus if you were to have the pasta first and then the salad and then the protein or just the pasta, you know? So there's like little hacks that you can do to kind of keep your blood sugar more stable. Amazing. Okay. That's so good to know. Thank you. So we have dairy, we have like baked goods, refined sugars, um, carbs, like, uh, just straight bread or pasta. Do you have any other specific ones before we move on to the next? Um, I would say, yeah, then the, then the vegetable oils, like trying to limit those. And like when you're going out to restaurants, if you can go to restaurants that use healthier oils, like maybe a more of a Mediterranean restaurant, but that's using olive oil, for example, you could ask the restaurant to cook it in olive oil or butter. Um, so like little steps like that can make a big difference if you're eating out all the time. If you're eating out only once in a while, I would say don't stress it out. Like I eat out a couple of times a week and like, I don't, you know, I don't stress at all. I don't care uh, yeah. because I know what I'm doing most of the time is, uh, you know, anti-inflammatory. I'm eating a healthy diet, whole foods. So the once in a while, when I go out, I'm not stressing out about a little bit of vegetable oil. Right. That's awesome. I know there's an app. Oh, you might know the name. It's totally went out of my mind, but there's an app that tells you what restaurants in your area cooks with different types of oil. So you can get on and you can type in the restaurant and it'll show you what type of oil they use. If I can find it, I'll link it in the show notes, you guys. So you can click and check that out. I totally forgot the name, but I know that's one little tip if you are worried about your consumption of seed oils. Yeah, that's a great tip. And then just like, just in general, limiting your packaged processed foods and, and choosing more of your whole foods as much as possible. I love it. Awesome. Okay. On to the next little section for stress. What would you say are some ways maybe you use, um, that you can reduce your stress in turn to help with inflammation in your body? My absolute favorite modality is breath work. Okay. Which is, uh, really amazing. There's a few different kinds. So there's short little breath works that you can do that take just a minute or two and they will instantly calm your nervous system down and kind of switch your body from a state of fight or flight to arrest and digest. And so you can do them either in the moment, if you're like freaking out in the middle of the day, because you're just stressed with work or something, you can kind of just take a minute and do the breath work. So like one example would be box breathing, where you breathe in for a count of four, you hold for a count of four, breathe out for a count of four and hold out for a count of four. And you basically just keep repeating that type of breathing pattern for a minute or two, and that will instantly calm you down. Now, so you could do it like that, or you can add it to your morning or evening practice to kind of like just reset your body for the day. Uh, or you could do all, you know, all of the above. So I really like breath work. I also really like sound healing. So for anyone who wants to meditate or understands the benefit benefits of meditation, but is like, I cannot meditate. I cannot sit still. I'm bad at meditation. It just doesn't work for me. I would highly recommend going to a sound healing. And what that is, is they just use the singing bowls and it makes these just beautiful sounds that really puts you into a meditative state without you really having to do anything. And so you can get that feeling of peace and calm and just that resetting where you feel like you've come down a couple of notches. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I find it really, really effective. Even if you can meditate, it's really nice. But it's uh, for anyone who's struggling with meditation, but wants to try it or wants to get into it. That's a really cool modality. I love it. 
That's awesome. I've actually tried both of those techniques. Box breathing has helped me so much. If I find myself, I'll do it as a regular practice in the morning or at night before bed. But if I find myself throughout the day, having a moment of I'm stressed or I'm anxious about something, it's a nice little tool that you can just pull and do for a couple seconds that really does recenter and refocus you and calm your mind down. So that is a great tip. And then I have tried the sound baths too. I actually had two experiences. One was lovely. The other was terrifying. (laughs) It was very interesting. So I think if you are going to try that, don't knock it the first time you try it. You have to find someone that you vibe with. And that is a class that just resonates with you because like any class you go to, whether it's a yoga class or a workout class, you got to test a couple out to find one that you love. But that is a really good tip actually, because (laughs) I've usually had really good experiences with them as well, but there's definitely been one or two classes, like one class I had to walk out of because I was like, it's so bad. Yeah. So, you know, finding the right teacher and that goes for everything for meditation, for yoga, for whatever you're doing, finding the right teacher, the one that you jive with really well is really important. So yeah, if you don't like the first one, give it another try. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And then I think the last section I wanted to dive just a little bit deeper in is gut health. And like you said, you started a probiotic. So I want to hear a little bit about that and what a probiotic can do for your gut health to help with inflammation, to help your gut microbiome, all of that, and why it's important to take a probiotic. Sure. So Probiotics are really important, especially in this day and age, because it seems like modern life is sort of designed almost to disrupt our gut. So Mm -hmm. stress disrupts our gut, certain medications disrupt our gut, uh, sugar and high carbohydrate and like a processed diet is going to disrupt our gut, not eating enough fiber, all of these things contribute, you know, environmental factors. And so it is really important that we're reseeding our gut with beneficial bacteria because our gut is not only the or is not only controlling our digestion, our bloating, our regularity, it's also uh, influencing our immune health, it's influencing our skin health, it's influencing our mood, you know, and so much more. So it is really important for optimal health that we have a healthy gut. And uh, personally, like I had really bad gut issues back in the day when I was struggling with acne and it took me a while to kind of like get my stomach back into order and my digestion back into order. But once I did, it was like the heavens opened up, you know, like just because all of the issues that I had, like kind of just, just went away, uh, from, from simply being more regular and, and improving my digestion, right. So in terms of mood, in terms of immunity, in terms of skin, all of that, So in terms of acne, there, like I mentioned, there's a couple of interesting studies on skin and probiotics, and there are certain strains that have been found to be particularly beneficial for acne prone skin. So one of these strains is l SP1. And this is a European strain, and it was found in a clinical trial to improve adult acne in 12 weeks by improving insulin signaling in the skin. Um, So that's like pretty, pretty amazing. There are certain probiotics that can also be beneficial for hydration of the skin. Um, L-Ramnosis is also helpful for that. L-paracase, that's another one that's beneficial for skin hydration. So imagine by improving your gut health, you can actually improve the hydration of your skin without even putting anything topically on it. Um, uh, For various different inflammatory skin disorders, including acne, uh, psoriasis, rosacea, various studies have shown that people with these conditions tend to lack that good bacteria, the good lactobacillus and bifidobacteria. 
So that is why I created Kuma. Um, and we have one product called Globiome, which is a probiotic specifically formulated for acne prone skin. And it has been shown in its own uh, independent clinical trial to reduce acne breakouts, to normalize oil production, and to increase skin hydration in just 12 weeks. And it's doing that by improving gut microbial diversity by introducing these beneficial strains to the gut. Um, some of these strains are really great for the gut lining. So we talked about leaky gut before increased intestinal permeability. Some of these strains in the probiotic uh, support a healthy gut lining. Um, and uh, lactobacillus and bifidobacteria strains tend to um, have an anti-inflammatory effect in the gut and in the body. So they are really, really powerful. And I think it's a the whole gut-brain skin connection is just a fascinating area of research. Um, the first dermatologist to kind of talk about what we now call the gut brain skin connection, they were writing about it about a hundred years ago. So it's still kind of a new thing, but it's not that new. You know, I feel like we're, we're hearing about it now, but it's not like it's a brand new subject. Um, but I just think that we're really at the beginning of, of what we understand about the gut skin connection and how we can really harness the power of probiotics and gut health for skin health. That's so cool. I'm definitely going to have to give your probiotic a try after this, but I want to hear more too about ways you can support your gut health. Maybe if someone isn't able to get a probiotic right now, they want some more affordable options for foods they can buy or just little tips and tricks they can do to support their gut health tangibly that they could start doing now. Adding fermented foods to the diet, which are a natural source of probiotics. So this includes things like sauerkraut, kimchi, pickles, as long as they're traditionally fermented. So they should be in the fridge um, okay. and they should not have vinegar in the ingredient list. Cause if it has vinegar, that's a sign it's quick pickled. So it's not going to have those good bacteria. Um, what else? Um, like non-dairy yogurts are going to have, um, uh, live cultures, any, anything fermented would be, you know, an example of a probiotic rich food. So incorporating those into the diet, in terms of like sauerkraut, kimchi, that kind of stuff, about an ounce a day, you want to, okay. you know, you don't need a ton of them, but you, you know, you do want to be consuming them regularly to, to support your gut. So I would say that's a great place to start. And you can really, they're very versatile. You can add them to salads or to really anything that you're eating. You can find a way to incorporate fermented foods into Another thing that I would focus on for gut health, which nobody wants to talk about or do, but it is the stress piece because yeah. stress is so, um, you know, has such an influence on our gut. So if you are someone who knows you're stressed, who knows you're anxious, who knows you have, you know, something going on there, then that is definitely a place that I would start as well, because you may be amazed how just working on reducing your stress and finding an outlet for it can have a huge effect. And I will say like, I love the breath work, meditation, yoga, time in nature. I love all these kind of physical things. But one of the things that I think was most pivotal for me in reducing my stress load was the way that I thought about stress. So there's a really good book called Loving What Is by Byron Katie, which I feel like helps to kind of rewire what you let stress you out and what you don't. And so that's always something I recommend for people who, yeah, just feel like they stress out about everything. 
I love that. I feel like with stress, it can be such a cycle because say you do have a breakout and then you get stressed that you have a breakout and then you hear, oh, well, I need to not be stressed because that's what causes the breakout. And then you're circling back and it becomes this endless cycle of like you're stressed, but you're trying to control your stress. And it just is a, like I said, an endless cycle. So I feel like if you can get to the root cause and find some tangible ways to really just mellow out, that can be really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, And just a couple more tips. I would say make sure you're eating enough fiber. Because the fiber from your vegetables and fruit and whole grains, your plant-based foods, these are going to serve as food for your probiotics to help them flourish in your gut. So that's really important. That's also going to help with regularity because regularity is important, again, for overall health, but also for clear skin. So they're those two dermatologists that I mentioned earlier that kind of were the ones who created the the foundation for what we now call the uh, gut-brain-skin connection. They uh, realized that amongst their patients, their acne patients, a lot of them tended to have constipation. And they were kind of the first ones to draw that connection between the gut and, and acne breakouts. So it's really important, especially if you have hormonal acne, really any type of acne, but hormonal acne in particular, make sure that you are going regularly and completely, which the fiber and the probiotics from fermented foods or probiotics can help with. Um, and... Yeah, focusing on an anti-inflammatory diet and trying to limit the things that uh, are are not helping your gut. So the high sugar, high processed foods, or if you notice, like one thing I will say is that it's really important for us to be what I like to call a body detective. I think that sometimes we, you know, we feel like I, I remember I had one client who's like, "Oh, I'm just a gassy person. Like everything makes me bloated." I'm like, "No, but it's." you're not a gassy person. You're just experiencing yeah. gas, you know, because your gut is not in good state. So like being more observant and paying attention, or maybe even keeping some sort of food diary on a piece of paper, on a note in your phone, there's all these apps where you're kind of tracking your food and your symptoms for just maybe even a week or two. It's not something you have to do forever, but try to connect the dots and see, oh, and maybe it's not a stomach issue, but maybe I get a headache after I eat this food, or I feel really tired after I eat this food, or my skin breaks out after I eat this food. Um, it's not always clear cut, but sometimes it is. So just being more mindful of how you feel after different foods can also be a clue as to what foods you might want to experiment with avoiding for a period of time, um, you know, to see if that helps improve your gut or your overall health. Yeah. That's funny. You say that I used to struggle with bloating after pretty much every meal. It, I could eat something that I thought was so balanced and so nutritious and I would feel like a balloon after, and it was painful and it was uncomfortable. And I ended up taking a food sensitivity test and it came back that I was regularly eating so many foods that I was highly sensitive to. So mushrooms was one for me. Avocados was one for me. Dairy and gluten both came up on there tomatoes, so many random things that I was adding to salad bowls. And pretty much I was eating these foods every single day. So it was so interesting that I was able to see like, this is not normal for you to feel this way after every meal. You should feel good. You should feel high energy and just good after a meal. And I didn't. And so by taking time to eliminate some of those foods out, I noticed an incredible difference. And then months later, what was so awesome was I was slowly able to incorporate some back in. And now I'm fine. And I, I just have to be aware of that and know that I don't want to have those in large quantities. Like I maybe don't want to eat a full avocado in one seating. I want to eat one half of it. And then my stomach can handle that. So a food sensitivity test can definitely help as well. If you find yourself 
whether it's bloating or breaking out like crazy or having any weird symptom after a meal that you're like, "Mm, maybe this shouldn't be normal for me. Yeah. And that's really a great point. Like I think when it comes to acne, we all tend to talk about the dairy and sugar because those are the the sensitivities that like are most well-established in the scientific literature as being linked to acne. But the truth is any food that you have a sensitivity to could be causing a problem. And it could be something as healthy as a mushroom or avocado, because for you, you, you know, you have some sensitivity to it, but for the next person who doesn't, it's fine. So that's why it is, like I said, be that body detective and really uh, start to observe things. You could do testing, like make sure that you're listening to your body and, and responding. Yeah. With that being said, it is so different for those of you listening. It's so different for every person. So what I'm sensitive to is definitely not going to be what you're sensitive to. And each person is going to be completely different. And that's something that a food sensitivity test can really tell you versus seeing, you know, something online that tells you cut out X, Y, Z to heal this. It's like, that's not really how your body works. Like, like Maria is saying, you want to be your own detective and know internally what's making you feel good and not and test that. I want to get into some hot takes for you. This is something that I love to do on episodes with guests. I want to hear just some topics that, you know, social media is talking about right now, people are interested in right now, and kind of just your opinion on it. And I do want to preface it, like we had kind of just said, what your opinion is doesn't mean it works for everybody or it's going to be everyone's truth, but it is fun to hear an expert's opinion and just what works for them. So the first one, I want to hear about SPF and sun exposure, and that's the effect on skin, on acne and just kind of like your thoughts on it. Yeah. So I think there's a time and a place for both. Um, if you're going to be spending significant amount of time in the sun, I do think it is important to have SPF on. Um, however, I don't think that we need to have SPF on 24 seven personally, in my opinion, I do believe that we need sun exposure. I mean, after all, that is how our body creates vitamin D. Um, and you know, there is research to set, suggest like getting morning sunlight helps to, um, you know, set our circadian rhythm. It helps with sleep. Right. And I, you know, I, I do believe that we do need some sun, sun exposure without, uh, without SPF. Right. I love that. And it will be a different for everybody. Like your skin, everyone has a different skin tolerance. So yeah. of course you have to be mindful of that, but I do think we need a little bit of real sunlight. Yeah. I've seen so many debates online about whether SPF is truly good for you because some people say the majority of sunscreens have chemicals in them that are um, pore clogging that can go deep beneath the skin and just put kind of forever toxins in your skin. I've heard a lot of debate back and forth. And then of course you have the people saying you should wear SPF all the time. Do you know anything about maybe some brands that are good options if you do want to wear SPF out maybe brands that don't have those terrible chemicals in them? So, um, well, I will say two things. So one, like I am 37 now mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like I feel like, uh, and I, I have spent a lot of time in Dubai where it's very, very sunny and even indoors, like everything is glass. So you're still like, you know, getting penetrated with the sun's rays. Yeah. And so I've started to develop more freckles and like sunspots from it. So like the sun is definitely having an effect on the skin. And that's why I do think when you are going to be spending time in the sun, it is um, important to have some protection. So I like super goop. That's the okay. one that I use on my face. Um, they have like a matte one and a glossy one. I like the matte, the matte one. Okay. Um, and um, there is a really great cleanser called Daily Detox by a company called Green Chemistry. They're out of LA. 
And they make uh, this, it's, it's a cleanser that um, actually will, will base break down sunscreen and get whatever is in the sunscreen mm. should get it off of your face. So it's uh, an esthetician created and formulated brand. And um, she's actually a skin cancer survivor, um, oh, the wow. woman who created it. And so, yeah, I really like, I like when I need to wear sunscreen, when I go out, I put it on my face and I use the super goop. And then when I come home, I use a daily detox to get it completely off my skin. Okay. And what SPF are you using? Is it 30? Is it 50? What's your go-to? Oh, to be honest, I don't even know what it is. It's probably <laughs> 15 or 30. I really okay. honestly, I have no idea. No, that's okay. That's I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My next hot take is on the 10 step skincare routine. I know we mentioned that earlier a little bit. What is your thought on having this overly extensive skincare routine with so many products morning and nighttime? What are your thoughts on it? And maybe what is your skincare routine? Um, also I'd love to hear. Yes. So definitely not a fan of a 10 step skincare. I have a very minimal routine. I don't believe we need to wash our face in the morning because your skin is not dirty. Assuming that you cleaned your face before you went to bed. Um, you know, your face should not be dirty in Mm. the morning. Um, and yeah, so if you go to the gym or something, like when I, I go to the gym in the morning, I just splash my face with water afterwards to get, you know, the sweat off. Um, and then in the evening, I prefer again, very simple routine. If I'm wearing makeup, I use jojoba oil. I put that all over my face and I use like a cotton swab to get the makeup off. And then I'll cleanse either with daily detox or another gentle, I like probiotic cleansers. So I've traditionally used the eminence, the probiotic clear skin, uh, it's like eminence probiotic clear skin cleanser. There's another one from this brand Covo that also has like a turmeric, uh, turmeric and probiotic one, which I'm really like digging right now. Uh, so I, I use like, you know, either of those and then I see what my skin's feeling like. I kind of rotate between moisturizers. So I like, um, there's something called nightlight also by green chemistry, which has niacinamide in it, which is great. I'm trying to use it to fade the freckles and the the sunspots. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Um, another one that I use, I like to use a Bacuchiol serum. Have you ever used okay. Bacuchiol? No, I have not. Okay. Bacuchiol is amazing. It's a retinol alternative. It's a natural retinol alternative. And it has been shown to be just as effective as retinol for um, like wrinkle reduction and actually more effective for hyperpigmentation reduction. So if you have either of those concerns, definitely check out Bacuchiol. It's a really interesting ingredient. A lot of different brands use it in their serums. And then sometimes I just put borage oil on, like just pure borage oil. That's really, you know, great for moisturization. So that that's basically okay. my skincare routine. If I have a pimple, which I don't really break out anymore, but if I were to have a pimple, I would put on a drop, drop of tea tree oil. Okay. I love that. So it's a lot of natural stuff. It's a lot of oils. What are your thoughts on with oils? I know maybe for some people listening and also for myself, when I think of putting all those oils on my face, I think, am I going to be oily throughout the day? Is it going to show through my makeup? Is it going to feel oily or does that actually help with the oil reduction? Yeah. So I don't put them on in the morning. I do put them on in the right. evening. So, and the jojoba oil, I end up washing off. Um, and then the borage oil, if I use that, then like I go to sleep, like when you wake up in the morning, it's basically, you know, like it's gone. Yeah. So it's, it shouldn't affect if you did put it on in the morning, which I do sometimes, but yeah, it's, um, it's probably not the best base for like a makeup, I would say. Okay. So I would, I would reserve, I would 
use like a regular moisturizer in the morning and then reserve your oils for the evening. Okay. The annoying thing about oils though, is they also sometimes get in your hair. So I feel mm. like my hair gets greasy sometimes. So you always pull, like I always pull my hair back, Yeah, um, you know, to make sure it, they absorb fully before. So I actually use beef tallow based products at nighttime. Have you okay. ever used those? I have. Yeah. The same thing for me. It is so thick and so greasy. And if I don't do the, um, what is it? Heatless curls and put my hair all yeah. up my face. When I wake up, my hair is just completely over my face gunked in the oil. <laughs> it is the most frustrating yeah. thing ever, but I do really love that product. What are your thoughts on uh beef tallow based products? So I really want to love it, but I have tried them. And for me, they clogged my pores. And so really? this is, like, this is the thing, like, um, so there's certain oils that are um, more comedogenic than others. So like, you know, m- most people will will break out from putting them on. Um, and then there's other oils where it can kind of go other, either way, where some people, their skin just drinks it in and it's fine. And like others, their, their pores get clogged. So for me, I was using it. I loved initially how my skin felt because I did feel like it just drank it in and my skin was just so dewy and moisturized, yeah. but I noticed that it was clogging my pores. So I had to stop using it for me gotcha. personally. Okay. Gotcha. I'll keep note of that. Okay. My (laughs) next hot take is three different types of beverages. The first one is alcohol. So let's start with that. What are your thoughts on alcohol? Um, I don't judge people who drink alcohol, but I don't drink alcohol. I haven't in like over a decade. Okay. Wow. And is that for skin benefits or just overall health? you know, I'm just not really into it. Um, I don't think it's a health food. Like I think like the whole thing, like wine, red wine is a health food. Like, no, it's not. It's still still (laughs) alcohol. It's still like a liver toxin. Um, if you enjoy it, like good, enjoy a glass or two, but I wouldn't like think that I'm like doing, I think the, the benefit that comes with alcohol is really, you know, your, with your friends, you're enjoying yourself. Like you're kind of letting your guard down a little bit. I think that is really the ultimate benefit that comes from drinking. I don't know that there's like anything that special. Like you can get reservatrol in grapes, like go eat some red grapes or like, I don't think that we, I don't think alcohol is a health food. Right. I know me for me personally, I do enjoy a margarita every once in a while or something fun at dinner. And I do notice a huge difference in many aspects of my life. My skin, that is the number one thing that actually makes me break out. I think more than sugar. If I were to have a margarita or a cookie, the margarita is always going to make me break out the next morning. It is crazy. And then I also notice just stress overall the next morning and the next week. I find that on the weekends, maybe that I am having a couple drinks, my stress levels and my just random anxieties throughout the day are much higher than they would normally be if I didn't. So that is my little hot take on that. The next beverage is coffee. So just like having maybe let's say two cups of coffee a day, what is your thoughts on that? Um, I think in general, it really depends on the individual because everyone has a different caffeine tolerance. And so if two cups a day make you jittery or anxious, or you can't sleep at night, then I would say it's too much. If you can drink two cups of coffee and you sleep like a baby and life is good, then it's probably okay for you. Personally, I don't drink coffee, but that's more because I was traumatized as a child. My fourth grade teacher drank a lot of coffee and she always had the worst coffee breath. So I think just from that moment on, like I cannot stand this. That is so funny. That is hilarious. I've never heard that before. Wow. So you're a superwoman. You don't have alcoholic dinner. You don't have coffee in the morning. What do you drink? Do you drink teas or 
What I do you like enjoy? Tea. Yeah, okay. I like herbal teas. Um, I do like matcha. I like green okay. tea. I really love matcha tea. To be honest, I don't drink it every day. Like, I don't feel like I need it for energy, you know? And I think even yeah. with coffee, it is a slippery slope. Like, you don't want to rely on coffee for energy because it's like a false sense of energy. Right. And you you want your body to be able to produce enough energy on its own without you know, an outside stimulant or an outside source of energy. So, um, yeah, I just wake up in the morning and I already have energy and I think it's because, you know, the healthy diet, um, and I'm not drinking alcohol and, uh, and it's not that I've never drank alcohol. Like I have, and it's just like, I don't want to feel like crap the next day. And I want to feel good and I want my head to be clear and, um, yeah, I feel like that also just contributes to my overall well-being. I love it. Okay. The last beverage is kombucha. I know we talked about um, fermented foods and stuff earlier. What are your thoughts on drinking kombucha regularly? So um, again, I would say it depends. Some kombuchas do have a lot of added sugar. So I would look for brands that don't um, ideally. And just again, see how you feel. I feel like some people find that they can make you more bloated after, um, in which case I would you know, chill on them a little bit. But if you drink it and you feel good, I think it's, uh, you know, it could be totally okay. Gotcha. Do you think that the way some kombucha brands market as a natural probiotic, do you think that it actually has an impact on your gut the way that these brands market their product as? So again, it's going to depend on the way it's made. That's actually a really good point. So some brands, the way that they're making them are not traditionally fermented. So if it is traditionally fermented, um, it should have probiotics in it. Um, but you bring up a good point that, that many of them are just trying to cash in on a trend and are not necessarily going to be rich in probiotics. So I wouldn't use it as my main source of probiotics, but I know that some people like, I love the taste of water. I can drink water all day long, but I know some people have an aversion to water. They don't like the taste of it. And if it was like a kombucha or a soda, I would say a kombucha is definitely like a low sugar one would definitely be better. Um, it's not like my top choice of beverage, but um, if it's, you know, again, if it's traditionally fermented, if it's low sugar, there are worse things you could be having and you cool. enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Love it. Okay. My next hot take is the whole sauna, cold therapy, and red light kind of trend that's going on right now. What are your thoughts? I guess we'll break each one down. So what are your thoughts on sauna regularly? Love, love sauna. Sauna is amazing. You feel so good after it. It's great for detox. Um, You know, there is science to show that you can actually excrete heavy metals from the sauna, which is really important, especially if you're eating seafood and just you know, we're, we're exposed to heavy metals and pollution, right. In our environment, our food. Uh, so yeah, love sauna. Okay. Amazing. I love the sauna as well. I really do feel like it helps my skin also. Is there any science behind definitely. that? Yeah, definitely. And interestingly, it can also help with like moisture, moisturization and hydration of the skin. Okay. Um, so sweat, yeah, sweating is really good. I will say it is important when you're in there to towel off frequently. You don't want the sweat to sit on your skin because if you do allow it to sit too long, um, whatever was excreted can get reabsorbed back in. Mm. So you just want to towel off regularly to get the sweat off and then shower right after. Um, okay. and then, yeah, it's great for your skin. Awesome. That's good to know. Okay. What's your thought on cold plunge or cold tubs also- in general? 
I'm also a fan. I actually really um, do like them. And I like hot and cold therapy together. Mm -hmm. You feel amazing. Like you literally feel like you're on top of the world after you do it, even though it's like really scary and like you're scared to go into the cold plunge. But I started getting into cold plunge a couple of years ago through Wim Hof, you know, the Wim Hof Mm -hmm. breathing method. And I found that going into the cold plunge, I had to really quiet my thoughts and uh, put myself in charge, you know, like sometimes we have these thoughts that just run wild in our head and drive us crazy and um, are not necessarily true. And this kind of goes across the board. And by training myself to be able to go into the cold water, and I hate, I hate being cold. <laughs> I fight with my husband all the time about the AC. I'm always telling him to turn the AC off, turn it down. <laughs> I always have socks on, like, I hate being cold. But I, I actually enjoy doing the cold plunge, because I feel like I got to a place where I kind of mastered my emotions and my thoughts and like got through it and talked myself through it. And I just felt so unstoppable. Like when I get out of the cold plunge, I think too, with doing hot and cold therapy, you put your body on very short term, but high intensity stress. So that when you find yourself in stressful situations later in the day or later in life, you already have the ability to manage that because you've been practicing it. You've almost been training your body to manage stress well by being in that situation. So yes, it's has amazing benefits just in of itself doing it on the daily or weekly or whatever, but it also has benefits long-term when you find yourself in more stressful situations and you already have some type of mechanism set up where you're like, I know how to handle this or your body's just trained better to handle it. So I think that's really cool too. A hundred percent. Yeah. You, you, you said it perfectly. Yeah. Okay. The next one is the red light therapy. Do you have any experience or hot takes on that? So I I actually don't. Um, I haven't really used it aside from like in the sauna. Sometimes I have a red light. Um, And in terms of research, I have not done a ton of research on it. I know a lot of people swear by it and really love it. So I, I really have no comment because I don't have like enough, um, you know, I don't know enough about it to, to give you a, a great answer. Okay. I'm curious what your take is. Yeah. So I am always wanting to hear experts takes because I have experimented with it. So our sauna, we have an infrared sauna and it does have red light panels in it. So, or red light lights at the top that come down on you. And I mean, I use it and I love it and it feels great. And I think it also has some type of, um, maybe it's, maybe it's even placebo. I don't know, but it calms me down when I'm just in like the red sauna. And then I also have one of those masks. It's from a brand called higher dose. And it's the, you know, the creepy like red light mask that you put on. And I have used that quite a bit too. And I don't, I don't struggle with acne personally. And I do have random breakouts, but I don't have an overarching like struggle with skin. So I can't say personally that I have a testimony of, oh, it's changed my skin dramatically. But I do think that it helps with just feeling more lively. And I feel like the morning after I usually do it at night for like 10 minutes. And when I wake up, I do feel like my skin just looks a little bit energized if I'm doing it more regularly than not. Um, But like I said, I'm not an expert and I'm just kind of going by what others tell me to do and just trying random things out. But I would like to see more over time. I've been doing it for like two months now. So we'll see if I have a big change in the future. Um, My very last hot take is Botox and fillers. So we're talking Botox in the face and then fillers in the lips. What are your thoughts with that and how might it affect your skin as well? So I have a very unpopular opinion here, um, which is like, I'm not a fan. Now, again, that said, I don't judge anyone who does it. Like, I feel like everyone 
do, do you do what makes you happy? Do what makes you feel good. Um, personally, the reason that I got to this standpoint is because several years ago when I was a teenager, it was very popular, like around the time I was going to my prom that, um, it was really popular for the celebrities to inject Botox under their arms. And, you know, I'm getting my nails done. I'm reading all the magazines. This one's done it. That one's done it. And I was like, oh, I sweat. Like, I feel like I sweat a lot. Let me go ask my dermatologist to do this. So I go and they like, sure. They inject uh, Botox under both arms and um, it was kind of painful. And then, you know, within a week or two, I was sweating and like not even sweating less, like sweating just as much as before. So I, I went back to the dermatologist and then he put more in. And at the time I was a kid, I wasn't paying attention to anything. I don't know how much he put in, um, or anything like that. But, uh, after the second round that he did it, my lymph nodes got under my arms, got swollen, like the size of golf balls. And they were so painful. Like I would cry if they were even like touched. And, uh, this kind of like the swelling, this is actually how I got into infrared saunas. Cause I was doing like rebounding and like saunas and basically trying to move my lymph and exercise to kind of like get the lymph nodes to go down. But this, the swelling kept on happening, you know, every single month, like clockwork for, for years. Like I'm talking wow. many, many years. I'm not talking one or two years. I'm talking like probably at least five to seven years of, of my underarms always like keep swelling under that area. And nobody knows why it is, but you know, in retrospect, injecting a poison into an area filled with lymph nodes was probably not the, the smartest idea. Yeah. And then on top of that, also around that initial time, shortly after that, you know, the, the lymph nodes got swollen, I developed what's called uh, morphia. It's a localized form of scleroderma where the skin on my chest, like both arms got swollen, but one more, more so than the other. And um, the one that got really swollen, basically I developed a piece of scar tissue that was probably, I don't know, five or six inches across by like two inches tall, where yeah. it looked like I had some like serious damage done to my skin, but nothing happened to my skin. It was coming from the inside. Wow. And um, yeah, so I'm attributing it to that. I cannot say for sure. But if you look on Reddit and you look on these, like these message boards, you'll see that there are a number of people who have developed auto, it's an autoimmune condition, developed autoimmune conditions after doing Botox. And long story short, like this is also kind of what pushed me in the direction of natural medicine and just being more natural, even looking at my products, the topical products I'm using, everything that I'm using, reading labels. But um, a couple years ago, I interviewed this lawyer, Ray Chester, who um, actually represented a number, I think it was like 50 cases against Allergan, which is the makers of Botox for either serious injury or death even for use. And I will say typically like the worst problems with Botox do typically co come or have typically come when it's used like on the body, not necessarily on the face, probably because maybe they're using a bigger dose um, or maybe where, where it's being injected. Um, but anyway, like he taught me a lot about Botox and, um, so it is a drug that has something called uh, a black box warning on it, which is the FDA reserves for the most risky drugs. And essentially what it is, is if you use this drug, you cannot sue the manufacturer, no matter what happens to you. So it's like a take at your own risk drug. Oh, wow. like the crazy thing is though, when you go to do it, 
the cons- consumer, the customer, they almost never see the box because the doctor has already taken the vial out of the box and is just filling the needle. And I don't know, maybe now you have to sign paperwork. I don't know. But um, I think most people don't realize the risk that they're taking from using it. And it is a toxin. It's a toxin. You know, right. we're, we're all so cognizant of reducing toxins in our skincare and we want clean makeup and clean cleaning products for a house and all this and that. And then we're injecting toxin. It has toxin in the name, botulinum, uh, you know, it's like yeah. Botox, toxin. Um, so yeah, I would just be really careful with it. Um, yeah, that's, I, I, that's what I would say. I would just be really, really careful with it and, uh, make sure if you are doing it, going to someone who really knows what they're doing and are using the appropriate amounts and not trying to get a discount. This is not something you want to discount for. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, just to be careful with that. Awesome. Well, thank you. Those are some awesome hot takes from you. I've loved hearing your opinions on those. Um, I have one or let's say two more questions because we need to wrap this up. I feel like we could talk about this forever because I still have so many. So maybe we'll have to do a part two in the future. But the first question is, so maybe our listeners are listening to this right now and they're like, these are some really good pieces of advice. I have a lot of tangible steps that I can take to start healing my skin, feeling good from the inside out. But do I need to go through any type of detox process to switch from the way maybe I was consuming food or consuming different toxic products before to now switching and eating healthier and eating in a way that's going to help my skin and not using those products anymore? Is there like an in-between that anybody would need to go through or can they just make the switch today and start trying to change those products and food and everything for their skin? Yeah. I don't think that there's necessarily like a detox period. I will say you don't like if you want to go gung ho 100% and switch everything like more power to you go for it. But you don't necessarily even need to do that to see results. I think in terms of longevity and keeping up the habits, sometimes smaller steps lead to bigger results over time and allow you to incorporate one habit at a time into your life, um, which will allow you to, you know, stick with it longer. Because sometimes when you do too much too soon, like after a week or two or a month, you're just like, forget this, it's too Mm -hmm. much. So I I would say, um, yeah, one step at a time and like kind of break things down into pieces, uh, maybe first reducing, you know, replace the soda with a club soda or, or water ideally, but like kind of take the low hanging fruit first, focus yeah. on that and then, you know, add on over time. Awesome. I love that advice. That makes it a lot more maintainable for sure. Whether it's for a skincare routine or a workout routine or whatever, like you said, taking it step by step and not feeling like you have to change everything at once is so beneficial in the long run. Okay. My last question, I do this at the end of every episode and I want you to leave the listeners with a little challenge to help their skin and just their overall health. So if you had to give them one thing to do this week as a little challenge, what would you give them? It can be big or small, whatever. Okay. The first Okay. Okay. So I would just say I have a two part one. Okay. Okay. So one would be if you have acne, challenge yourself not to pick at it because that only makes things worse. So that would be number one. And then then secondly, kind of like overall, whether you have acne or not, making sure that you're eating enough vegetables. I would say that is just like kind of easy one. And when I say that, try to make 50% of your plate vegetables at at least two meals a day. It could be salads, it could be raw, it could be cooked, however you want it. You could have a vegetable soup, you could have roasted vegetables, however you want to do it, make half your plate veggies at two meals a day. And you'll, you know, you'll be way ahead of the game. You're getting fiber, you're getting nutrients, antioxidants. Um, 
and it's, it's great for your overall health and definitely for your skin. I love it. I definitely need to take your advice on that challenge because I am a picker. Even if I have nothing, I will find something to pick at the end of the night and I'll be like, why did I do this? So I'm definitely going to be taking on that challenge too. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, that wraps up an awesome episode. I feel like I learned so much from you. I'm definitely going to listen to this back myself and take more notes. And you're just a pillar of knowledge. And thank you so much for coming on. I want to leave the audience with ways to find you on social media, ways to find your products. I know you came out with books too, right? Mm-hmm. Three? Is it three? Uh, well, two, 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 and then a yeah. plan. Some type then of plan. I have a plan. Yeah. Okay. Plan that's what I was okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Just let, I'll have everything linked in the description, but if they want to right now, could just go find you on social media. What are some of your handles and ways to find you on there? Sure. So on Instagram, I'm at Maria Marlowe and Marlowe is spelled M-A-R-L-O-W-E. On TikTok, I'm at Glow by Marlowe and on YouTube, the same. Uh, so I have a lot of great content there. My website is mariamarlo.com. So that's where you can also find my clear skin plan, which is a 90 day program to help you clear your skin naturally from within. And it kind of, um, it's kind of like two parts. It helps you figure out your root causes and remedy them with natural, uh, like diet and lifestyle changes. And then the second half of it is over a hundred recipes that are anti-inflammatory and low glycemic, delicious, and easy to make to kind of help you, you know, support that clear, healthy skin from within. Um, and you can also find my books on there. I wrote two books. One's the real food grocery guide, which is available on Amazon. That's just like a really, um, easy guide to choosing the healthiest uh, groceries in every single aisle of the the grocery store. Uh, And then I have Be Healthy Everyday Planner, which is a paper planner. So for people who don't want to like plan things on their phone, uh, if you like writing it out, it helps you set and stick to your health and wellness goals. So it's kind of fun, especially like with the new year coming up. Awesome. And then your probiotic too, is there a website they can go to to check that out? Yes. For, um, for the probiotic, it's on a separate website. It's on kumaglow.co, which is K-U-M-A-G-L-O-W.co. Um, and yeah, you can find out more information and kind of see the clinical trial results and the before and afters there. Awesome. Thank you. You guys definitely go check those out again. I will have them all linked in the show notes and Maria, thank you so much for coming on today. I seriously learned so much from you and I know the audience is going to as well. Thank you so much for having me and being such a wonderful interviewer. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Talk soon.